You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Welcome to the latest edition of 100, the Ed Gordon Podcast. Today, a conversation with film director, editor, producer, and screenwriter, Sam Pollard. The Harlem-born filmmaker's list of projects is impressive. From Eyes on the Prize 2 to Juice to serving as editor of many of Spike Lee's biggest movies, Pollard has been crafting images and helping to tell stories for decades. His latest project is the documentary MLK FBI. The film takes a deep look at the FBI's attempts to discredit the iconic civil rights leader. Violence is self-defeating. He who lives by the sword will perish by the sword. You know, when you construct a man as a great man, there's nothing almost more satisfying than also seeing him as the opposite. When the National Archives puts government documents up on the web, one has to confront them. Tapes from the hotel rooms, FBI reports, those are pieces of information that we shouldn't have. The FBI was most alarmed about King because of his success. He realized how sick this country was. We were trying to reveal the truth about segregation. J. Edgar Hoover is famous for saying that he feared the rise of a black messiah. The FBI says it's clear Martin Luther King Jr. is the most dangerous Negro in America, and we have to use every resource at our disposal. 
to destroy him. It's ironic that a program that was created because of King's assassination would birth a career for this self-proclaimed movie lover who never dreamed of making movies himself. That program was a WNET television workshop that was started in 68 after Dr. King's assassination to get more Black people and other people of color behind the camera in the editing room producing, doing sound. One-year program that was two nights a week, and it was phenomenal for me because it introduced me to the world and the craft of filmmaking. We had professionals, and usually people of color, come in and teach us how to shoot, how to edit, how to do sound. And I walked away, not at the time knowing, that I walked away having a career, (laughs) having built a career from that. Were you always at heart a storyteller? No, man. I was a film lover. Yeah. You know, the the thing that, you know, when I went to, when I was at Baruch College in New York City, the, the day I went to see my college counselor and said I was looking for some after-school activity just to take my mind off these business courses I was, I was taking. And she said, she asked me, so what do you like, Sam? I said, well, my interest, I said, the things that I really am passionate about is I love books. I love reading, you know, Zora Neale Hurston, Richard Wright, Ernest Hemingway, all that shit. I loved all of that. But I told her from the age of like 12 on, I was a committed cinephile. I didn't know what that term meant then, mm-hmm. but I used to watch movies every day, man. When I wasn't doing my homework or my chores, I was in front of the television watching these old Hollywood movies, and I just loved it. So I loved movies. So when she t- initially told me about the program, and I said, <laughs> my first reaction was, I don't really care about how they make movies. I just like watching them. But she was very persuasive, and she got me to have that interview. And then when I got into the business, the first film that we shot as a class was The Exteriors of Lincoln Center, you know, and I was given a job to be the editor. And they put me in on this big green mammoth machine, the movieola, and they gave me the 16 millimeter footage. And they had taught me how to splice, man. And I'm cutting my like 10 shots together. And I ran them in the, in the movieola and I didn't like how they unfolded. I didn't like the story I was trying to tell. So I just started moving some shots around. And I swear, Ed, the idea of creativity, bang, like a light bulb. When I saw this, the way I switched those shots around, I said, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. I can t- I'm telling a story, a visual story. And that's when I started to become, get into this idea that I could be a storyteller. Up until that point, I'm just a film lover. <laughs> so I had to learn to become a storyteller. Pollard has a long-standing collaboration with director Spike Lee. Pollard has edited some of Lee's most acclaimed work. The list includes Mo Better Blues, Jungle Fever, Clockers, and the documentaries Four Little Girls, and When the Levees Broke. Give me a sense of your relationship with Spike and... Um you know, the dance that sometimes happens between two creatives. Uh, it, it can be uh, beautiful and wonderful at times, and it can be clunky, um, uh, you know, it, at, at other times. Give me a sense of, of how that relationship unfolded. It was all those things, man. You know, here I was, I was up in Boston uh, doing my first producing job on Eyes on the Prize too. And I was in my apartment in the back base section of Boston. And one day, my son, who was 10 at the time, said the phone rang. He picked it up. And he said, Dad, it's Spike Lee. And I said, Jason, <laughs> don't pull my leg. I had just seen Do the Right Thing in the movies, right, with my wife. And I thought, this guy. You know, I had seen School Days, which I didn't like. I loved She's Gotta Have It. 
but then do the right thing was like, wow, man, this guy is a filmmaker par excellence. So at first I thought he was pulling my leg. I get on the phone and sure enough, it was Spike. And he ended up hiring me for Mo Better Blues, right? So I, I basically sort of made a deal with the company that I was, Black Saga, I was doing, I was on the prize. I would sort of travel back to Boston to finish up that film at the same time that I started editing Mo Better. So Spike is shooting Mo Better Blues. And the usual process, you know, with feature films is that after the director shoots for a couple of weeks, you start editing. So after two weeks, I go to Spike Ed and I said, so what do you want me to start editing first? We had seen like three, two weeks of dailies. He said, I don't want you to edit anything. And he said that to me for the whole 11 weeks of shooting. So he was paying me a full salary for just screening dailies. And I came home then to my wife and I said, man, what does what does this fucking guy think? He, he's treating me with such disrespect. <laughs> so we finished, he finishes shooting. Then I figured we're going to start editing the week after he finishes shooting. Then he says, I'm going away to on a vacation for a week. Don't cut anything. So Ed, this is what I thought. This would be the first and last Spike Lee film <laughs> I ever, I ever edit, you know, because I'm, I'm not used to being treated this way. Mm-hmm. But sure enough, he comes back and we spend the next six, seven months editing the film. He just, we screen dailies again. I take notes. And then he leaves me alone and I cut. And the thing with him and our relationship was an interesting one. He's not a tremendous talker, you know. Mm-hmm. He doesn't talk a lot. And at times I don't talk a lot. But we were able to connect, you know. You know, I love jazz, so that was the real connection. He was a jazz guy, you know. So we really connected. And every time I would cut a sequence, he'd give me notes and I'd make changes. He never would sit over me and I'd make changes. So by the time I got through that experience, one day he came in with the script for Jungle Fever, and we hit it off with that one. That one, when he started shooting, I started cutting. And then I was supposed to do Malcolm with him, but then I, had to, I was directing the doc, and I pulled out. And I figured that we would be done after I said I couldn't do Malcolm. So I went off and did this other film, and I ended up editing the film for Ernest Dickerson, which is interesting because the relationship with Ernest Dickerson, I edited Juice and Surviving the Game. And when we would be, when we would be in the editing room, we would have these long conversations about old movies and different themes and stuff. I never had these kind of conversations with Spike. When I finished the Surviving the Game with, with uh, Ernest, I was coming back to New York. I had edited in California. I was flying back to New York. And Spike asked me to read Clockers. And I turned it down. And I turned it down because I had been, you know, I'd done like four features straight. And I was tired of features. I wanted to go back to docs. And then I had this idea. Again, the light bulb went off in my head. I said, well, what if Spike lets me co-produce a doc with him? If he does that, then I'll edit, a clock, edit Clocker. So I called him back. And he said yes. So that led to Four Little Girls. You know? So we've always had this relationship where we don't talk a lot, but we've always had this connection, you know, this sort of symbiotic connection where we just feed off each other. And sometimes you're right. I remember on Bamboozle, I kept, I kept cutting the sequence when they were doing the makeup, putting on the blackface. And he never got, he never liked my cut. He never liked my cut. And finally, we had Barry, who was his other editor, recut it. I was devastated. <laughs> I was devastated. But then he hired me back for the Levy. So we've always had this really interesting collaboration where we, you know, I'm, I think he's one of the great filmmakers, you know, and I thought what I brought to those films, both the features and the docs was my sort of, sensitivity as a doc filmmaker who understood how to tell story. What's interesting to me about your career, Sam, is the idea that you really have, unlike many 
director, editors, uh, producers, etc., danced on both sides of the aisle. And by that, I mean uh, commercial films and docs. Usually, it's one or the other. You right. might dabble once or twice on the other side, but you really kind of stick to one road. You've been able to kind of navigate between the two. Do you have a love if you had to pick one side? Docs. Yeah. I love docs. But I still love I love fiction films, too. You know. And uh, but docs, you know, when I, when I when I got introduced to the doc world as a young editor, I felt like, you know, this was I was very shy back then. So I didn't want to I didn't like to talk a lot. So I felt that by being in the editing room, editing these docs, I was able to express myself and not have to get into the what I call the gladiator battle of dealing with a producer. Oh, I like this. And this is why I like that. I could just work. Mm-hmm. So I love the docs more, you know, and I felt I could be really creative with the docs. So I love docs probably more. How much of that is the idea of loving history? And how much of that is, and they might be uh, interchangeable, how much of that is telling our stories in a way that they've not been shown light before? That is probably a big part of it, telling our stories that never been told in the way we thought they should be. Yeah. I worked... I worked on a few films with uh, St. Clair Bourne back in the 80s, and that's what he kept drumming into my head, the importance of telling our story, giving our perspective, you know? And so that became something that became very important to me, and it, and it's grown even more in the last 10, 12 years with my films that I've done, you know? And I also, you know, quite honestly, man, I was always a history buff, and I always had tremendous curiosity, which is not has not dwindled at all. My curiosity level is still very high. How do you take on a project? What do you decide makes a good doc for you? Well, if, if it's a subject that I'm sort of curious about that I haven't dug into, that'll, that'll spur my interest. I'll say, oh, okay, let me, let me see if there's something there that I can make into a film. And then, you know, fortunately for me, quite honestly, Ed, in the last 10 years, I've been approached about projects or come up with projects that, that I want to do. You know, before that, I would say like from probably from the 80s up until, up until, up until I started working with Spike, I was, I was working on jobs that I, you know, I got hired. I needed a job. But after, but yeah, but after a paycheck, but after, after sort of eyes on the prize, I've been able to pick and choose more than ever before. And that's rare, you know. I mean, being a freelancer, that's a difficult thing to be able to pick and choose and still keep working. Yeah. So I've been pretty fortunate, man, you know, to pick projects that I'm that interest me. When they reached out to me about the people from WQED reached out to me about doing August Wilson, I was like, Yeah. When they when WNET American Masters asked me about doing Sammy Davis, it was like in my wheelhouse. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, MLK FBI, me and the producer, we came up with that one ourselves. When we come back, delving into King and trying to show the man and not the myth. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. 
Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo play. Sam Pollard's latest documentary, MLK FBI, like most of his documentaries, gives light to sides of a story that are often misunderstood, misguided, or missing from projects created by white production companies. From entertainer Sammy Davis, to singer Marvin Gaye, to football great Jim Brown, to Atlanta Mayor Maynard Jackson, Pollard has chronicled many well-known and in some cases unknown people whose stories have not always been given full breadth and perspective. Pollard takes pride in being able to give these stories a fuller scope. When you take somebody like a a Sammy Davis Jr., um, whose story, I think, uh, over the years has been muddied and muddled, uh, you know, people think they know this this fireball entertainer who was Jewish and hugged Nixon in it, but he was far more complex Um, far more complex than that. Uh, I think about King in the same way. 
Um, There is this surface understanding of King. Um, But what you were able to do, I think, masterfully in this is um, show the human side of King that uh, explain the weight of being Martin Luther King. Exactly. And And that to me is something that I feel strongly about in the last six or seven films I've done. The, the ability to really want to dig into the human beings and see them on a different level than how you present them, how they initially are usually are usually presented. You know, oh, Sammy Davis, she's the greatest entertainer ever, singer, dancer, impressionist, that, that, that. Not Dr. Luther King, the I have a dream speech. No, I always want to go a little, I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper. And, and that to me is very important to show you that they're human beings who did great things, but they had, they had their own issues. They had their own demons. They had their own things they had to deal with all the time. FBI mailed the tape of Dr. King with other women to him and to Coretta with an advice that he should go kill himself. How much of um, pause do you find, and and maybe that's not the right word, but uh, when you are dealing with someone as iconic as King? um, You know, the reverence that is afforded him, particularly in our community. Um, when you know that this is a human being, when you know that they're flawed, when you know that they're sides of the story that, you know, many people want to keep behind a closed door. Sure. How, how do you deal with that? Well, you deal with it carefully because you know, <laughs> you know you're going to get broke, you're going to get pushback. You know, I had an interesting talk with Danny Glover a few weeks ago about doing something with me. And he was so emotional about how he sees Dr. King. He couldn't do it for me, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, so you always have to be careful. And what you're trying to do as the filmmaker, you're trying to make sure that when you shape these portraits in the editing process, that you try to be, you want to dig into them and and really show another perspective on this person, but you want to try to do it in a way that's sensitive to the person and the material and not make it exploitive. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll give you a good example. I had done, when we were editing the Sammy Davis sequence film, we had done a sequence about Sammy's relationship with Kim Novak. And when we first edited the sequence, me and the editor went too far in making it really, you know, titillating and mm-hmm. sensationalistic. And the executive producer looked at it and said, wow, gosh, this is like, well, you're going to really do that? And then we, I had to go back and look at it and say, oh, this is too much. I had to pull back a little. And you always have to think that way. you got to figure out how to create the discussion and, and, and challenge the audience to have a different perspective on a subject who's been, you know, de- de- you know, uh, put on the pedestal, but do it in a way that you try to be respectful to who they are and what you, the audience, how the audience might react. Now, you know, you're going to get some pushback, but that's all right. And I, and I don't mind people having opinions, you know, as long as I think I've done a, a, a responsible job. How do you find the um, humble nature of what I think a good uh, producer needs to have? I, I think about often when I'm producing and I take it in, to uh, you know, a, an EP or a VP who's screening it, and they're giving me their notes. You know, you you gotta find a way to discern what you know is right in your heart um, versus, as you say, just a difference of opinion. And maybe, maybe their opinion is better than what you laid out. How do you find that equilibrium? This is what I do. This is what I learned. This is I learned this from as an editor. And I was a young, feisty editor, and I would listen to directors give me notes, 
my whole attitude was resist, 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 vocally resist. How dare you? This is terrible. What are you making me do? But then I learned something after that, after about four or five years of being really hothead. I learned that the, the, the most professional thing to do is when someone, be, be it when I'm an editor, be it when I'm a director, and I'm giving it to another director, if I'm editing, or if I give it to an executive when I'm directing, I just listen. I just take, I have a path, always a path, and I take the notes. I don't respond, I just take the notes. Then I go back, and if I'm working with someone else, or if I'm thinking about myself, I digest these notes. Now, normally, my, in, my internal gut reaction is always to hate anybody's notes. You know, mm-hmm. oh, you, you've destroyed my film. You're going, to, oh, this is awful. But then, you know, I have to reevaluate them and see the good in some of them and say, oh, this one I think makes some sense. I can process that one. And sometimes if I don't think they make sense, then I will send a note to the executive to tell them why I don't think it mm-hmm. makes sense, mm-hmm. you know. And I try not to let my emotion override my, my logic. You know, and not, not that I'm always successful, but I'm better at it than I was 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. You know? age, age does help. Does. <laughs> age does help. Let me, let me go back to King and ask you about what you found, what surprised you most as you dug in to King's life. Uh, you know, there's the myth and the man. Um, what did you find as you produced this, as you put it together, that really kind of toppled you? didn't topple me, but you know, something that I had tried to make when we were putting the first cuts together and we had a se- the sequence when he's on the Merv Griffin show with Harry and he's talking about his childhood, his upbringing with his father and his relationship with his family. I was initially saying, do we really need that? I said that to the editor, Laura. And she said, really, I think it's important, Sam, because we want to we be able to see this other aspect of Dr. King's life, not just the Dr. King that we know from going to Selma or Birmingham. I want to see the other aspects of his life. So I thought that was interesting for me because I said, okay, now I'm getting another sense of Dr. King in a way I hadn't seen it before. And then we found those images of Dr. King playing with his kids, with his family in his playroom. We found those stills of Dr. King playing softball with Martin III and it's at the dinner table with Coretta and the kids. I thought, oh, this is, this is a King that you don't usually see. I thought that was important, you know? And it was like, okay, he had a life. He had a life other than the one that, I, that I'm familiar with, you know, walking yeah. from Selma to Montgomery or getting arrested in Birmingham. So that, that to me was something that I felt that was important that, that I, I came away thinking, I'm glad we kept this in the film. Yeah, you humanized him to a great yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, give me a sense of how you see um, the goings-on, the tumult of today. As, as you have a keen eye of history with all that you've done. Um, when you look at today, there's a leeriness, a growing leeriness. I think um, it had become latent in our community uh, and uh, of distrust. How do you see it today as you look at history and you, you view today? I see, I see the history in America in some ways replicating itself in terms of what we see in this film in the 60s. And that's sort of, that saddens me, not sort of, but it saddens me, that in some ways, so much, there's been so many advances in this country, both racially, you know, both in terms of economics on a certain level, but there's still such issues that we still seem to be a country divided. 
and even more divided now in the last four years with this election, with the presidency of Trump. And so, uh, you know, my fear is that people don't seem to understand that you've got to be able to move a step, move forward and not repeat the same kind of things that we've seen before. I mean, why are people still saying things like you hear in the film when the woman on that television show asked Dr. King, don't you think your peaceful protests are causing a rise in the cities? We just heard that about the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, don't you think if you're affiliated with the Communist Party in that film, in the film, it's going to hurt the movement? We hear the same thing in, this, in the last presidential election. If you elect these socialist, socialist Democrats, they're going to destroy our suburbs. So part of this says to me, just, does America ever really want to deal with, you know, the, the history of this country and, and, and the fact that this country is built on slavery, built on, you know, the, you know, the destruction of Native people? you know, and that has always been about money and capitalism. Don't they want to ever deal with that? And, and sometimes you think not, you know, but then you see on the other hand that people do. I mean, you know, in some places in America, there's a certain understanding of this history and people want to confront it. In other places, there isn't, you know, and it's, it's pretty interesting that we're at this, with this country that's divided, you know. I don't believe that America has ever really wanted to deal with race. I think that there is a Hollywood version of what America claims to be, purports to be, and then there is a reality. I think there are certain individuals, there are certain pockets, but as a nation, I don't think we want to I, deal with race. I agree with you. I agree with you. I, I think that they, we still, many people still have their heads in the sand, you know, and you and I know that this should be dealt with, but I think there's a large group of, and I'll say this very frankly, white people who think, it's in the past. Why are we worried right. about it? Right. And it's not. It's, it's present. It's front and center. Front and center for sure. Even more reason to see the story Sam Pollard tells. His latest documentary, MLK FBI, is a must-see. You can find it on Amazon Prime. 100 is produced by Ed Gordon Media and distributed by iHeartMedia. Carol Johnson Green and Cherie Weldon are our bookers. Our editor is Lance Patton. Gerald Albright composed and performed our theme. Please join me on Twitter and Instagram at Ed L. Gordon and on Facebook at Ed Gordon Media. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. 
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.